Hello, I'm Jeremy Myers, and this is the Redeeming God Podcast. So it's been several months since I've been able to put out a podcast. I do apologize for that. Things out of my control have happened. Life has thrown me quite a few number of curveballs over the last several months. I don't really want to get into it too much. Um, some family curveballs, some work-related curveballs, some health-related curveballs, and all three of those have created some financial curveballs. So anyway, I've been trying to deal with that for the last several months. I appreciate your prayers and your concern. For those of you who sent me some emails of support, find out how I'm doing, so on like that, and so on. Uh, I'm not asking for help or anything like that. I just, I, I do appreciate your prayers. And um, I mean, I suppose if you want to do something to help, um, you could join my online discipleship group or um, invite other people to join or something like that. One of the things I am starting to do uh, recently, by the way, is sort of relaunch my web development business a little bit. So if you're looking for a website or your churches or ministry or even your personal business, then um, maybe look into getting me to build that website for you. Uh, I do have like 10, plus, uh, 15 years of experience, a little more of web development. I've worked for several businesses uh, as side jobs and several authors as well. Frank Viola and Ed Underwood and several others uh, have, have used me for, for their web development needs. So anyway, that's something that you could do as well if you're looking for a ministry. Also, along with this podcast, I'm going to start trying to interview other pastors and authors and Bible teachers and so on. So if you are one or you know of someone who maybe wants to be interviewed, uh, you can reach out to me. So uh, for, for any of those sorts of things, just, just reach out to me through the contact page or the contact me part of my website at redeeminggod.com. Just scroll to the bottom and there's a link there that you can click to uh, fill out my contact form. Okay. So anyway, I appreciate your patience over the last several months. Hopefully uh, going forward, I will be able to st uh, continue to produce these podcasts more regularly and also my goal, my desire, my hope, my prayer is to also uh, return to adding more courses and lessons to my uh, online discipleship group section of my website at redeeminggod.com as well. Okay, so uh, with that in mind, we're picking back up with our study of Ephesians. And last time we looked at Ephesians 4.11, and so today we're going to be looking at Ephesians 4.12. Now, uh, that study and today's study are drawn from a book I wrote called God's Blueprints for Church Growth. It's actually one of the first books I ever wrote, boy, almost close to 20 years ago now. And I've recently, last year, the year before, put it out as a book, finally. And uh, it's part of my study through the book of Ephesians. And these uh, verses, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, contain God's instructions on how to grow his church. So uh, I, I'm going to, I'm teach, since we're teaching through Ephesians and I'm coming to these verses, I will be sort of providing you a glimpse or a bit of a taste, a preview into what is in that book, if you wanted to get a copy of it and read the rest for yourself. Now, the last time when we looked at Ephesians 4.11, we were talking about the foreman on God's construction site for the church. And so today we're talking about the crew on God's construction site for the church. And Ephesians 4.12 says, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, 
to the building up of the body of Christ. That's the verse we're looking at today. John F. Kennedy once said, one of his most famous quotes, Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And I would say that for a while our country did follow that advice, uh, but for a variety of reasons, maybe it's consumerism and other things, our, lots of people in our country and around the world have stopped saying, what can I do for my country or for my government, and have started asking, what can my government do for me? Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called uh, How Should We Then Live? And in it, he says that this me-first entitlement mentality is what led to the downfall of the Roman Empire. And I would argue, I would say, that that is partly what we are seeing right now in the United States and even in some other governments and countries around the world. This me-first mentality. Look out for number one and find, get as much as I can for myself from the government rather than sort of this service-oriented mindset that John F. Kennedy was calling for. It's not just in the governments and churches, or not just in the governments and countries, though, but also in our churches. This mindset is quite prevalent in our churches and in some ways is leading to the downfall of the church. Now, the church will never die, but the church as it was, as many people think of it, is dying. And uh, that's why church membership is down and church attendance is down. And of course, I'm doing what I can to fix some of that. And large degree, that comes with redefining church and viewing church and even doing church in a completely brand new way. That's what a lot of my books have been about over the last 10, 15 years as I've written them. And uh, one of the books I wrote was called Put Service Back into the Church Service. And in that book, I argue that the church service is not this hour, hour and a half event that takes place on Sunday morning inside a brick building with a steeple down on the corner of Main Street and Elm Street or something like that. But instead, uh, church service is a place where we, as the church, the body of Christ, decide how we can serve our community, okay? And it, it really starts this different mindset that John F. Kennedy was talking about, where we ask not what our church or the church can do for us, but what we can do for the church, and specifically in the community, okay? And so that is uh, how the church can grow. That is how the church can resurrect, even, uh, when we realize, as the body of Christ, as the people of God, that we, you, I, are the hands, the feet, and the voice of God, right? When we learn that the people of this world first experience God's love for them through us, through you and me, that's when the church begins to rise again in power. But it all begins with starting to recognize and asking ourselves, not what can the church do for me, but what can I do for the church? Okay, and, and this fits right in line, really, with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, where Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples. A lot of times we think that the goal of the church is evangelism. We're going to go and make converts, and that's part of the task of the church, but it's only the beginning. The big task, the big goal, is to make disciples, to turn believers into faithful and committed followers of Jesus Christ. Okay, so uh, all of that fits in with what Paul is writing about 
here in Ephesians 4.12. We're looking at God's blueprints for church growth in Ephesians 4, 11-16. And in the previous study, we saw that on the construction site that is Christ's church, there are these four foremen who oversee the building site. The first of them is the prophets. They led the way by writing scripture. They laid the foundation, according to Ephesians 2.20. Um, that's the, uh, the, the prophets and apostles, I should say. The, the apostles and prophets, those are the first two of them. And then the third foreman is made up of those who have the gift of evangelism. These speak the scriptures with power to those who have not heard the gospel in a convincing and persuasive way to help them believe the gospel and receive eternal life, to join the family of God. And then um, there is, of course, the pastor-teachers, who are the ones who do this discipleship, raising up, training, discipling those who are Christians so that they can hear and understand the Word of God and apply it to their lives. One of my spiritual gifts, by the way, is pastor-teacher, so that's why I do what I do in this podcast and, and on my website, now I'm seeking to teach and train you so that you can understand Scripture and also apply it to your lives. All right, so that was Ephesians 4.11, and that's what we looked at last time. The four foremen. Now, Ephesians 4.12, which we're looking at today, talks about the crew. Again, if you think of a construction site, you know there are foremen on the construction site, and of course there is the crew. Ephesians 4.12 says that God has provided the foreman from Ephesians 4.11, okay, Ephesians 4.12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, as you read these two verses, the question you need to ask yourself is, who exactly does the work of the ministry? Well, historically and traditionally, slightly because of a poor, not exactly a poor translation, but but maybe a poor use of punctuation, <laughs> uh, in the King James Version, many people have, think, have, have thought that it is the pastors, the church leaders who do the work of the ministry. In fact, you'll often hear people say, um, you know, when did you enter the ministry? They ask that of pastors and missionaries and so on, evangelists. And um, usually when people talk about the ministry, they have in mind pastors and evangelists and teachers and Bible teachers and missionaries and those sorts of people, okay? And that is sort of what the King James Version translation has in mind, because uh, it mentions the, the way the punctuation is organized in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. It basically reads that the, the foremen are uh, to equip the saints, do the work of ministry, and edify the body of Christ, just by the way the punctuation is. But if you look at some other translations, then they put the comma in a different way. One of the most unfortunate commas in, in some Bible translations. And when you look at the, the Greek it, 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 uh, of this text, just the Greek grammar of it, it supports these alternative and better translations. And these other translations show us that the foremen are those who equip the saints, and therefore it is the saints who do the work of the ministry and edify the body of Christ. Okay, do you see the difference? In one translation, the King James Version, because of the comma, uh, the foremen do everything. <laughs> they equip the saints, they do the ministry, and they edify the body of Christ. But the best translations show that the, the foremen have one task, that is to equip the saints. 
And then the saints do the work of the ministry and edify the body of Christ. It's quite a different paradigm to think about as for how the church is supposed to live and function and grow, isn't it? Uh, the, the comma determines whose job it is to do the work of the ministry. And when that comma is left in, all the work of the ministry belongs to the foreman. But when the comma is taken out, the work of the ministry belongs to the saints, to you and to me and to everybody else. Okay, The foreman equip the, the crew to do the ministry. And that's exactly, again, how it generally works on a construction site. The foremen are the ones, sort of the managers, those in charge. And they have the big picture, the blueprints in, in mind, and then they give instructions to the crew about what to do, where to go, and, you know, how to put up the walls and all those sorts of things. Okay? So um, let's talk a little bit more about the task of the foreman. In Ephesians 4.12, it, it shows that God has provided foremen for the equipping of the saints. And that word equipping there means to prepare, to restore, to make fully ready. So equipping is basically providing the tools and the knowledge and the training that the crew needs for the job. And so if the crew is not properly trained, if the crew makes mistakes because they don't have the right tools for the job, well, that is the responsibility, that is the fault of the foreman. All right? Uh, but God has given us the necessary tools for the job. And, uh, you know, if you look at sort of the task of... Uh, on any construction site, um, I've, I've done worked some construction, not a lot, but uh, I have done some remodeling and some building and, and so on. When I worked at as a director at a Bible camp in my youth, and then even done some some tasks around my own house, um, remodeling a basement and that sort of a thing. I would say that all of the tools, all of the tasks, can be sort of boiled down into three categories. There's tools that cut, right, such as saws. And drills, they drills uh, will cut holes into into boards and things. There's tools that connect, such as a nail and hammer, or or the screwdriver and screw, uh, or glue, or, or of course there's every man's secret weapon, duct tape. <laughs> All right, and then there's tools that cover, um, caulking and mud and wood putty and paint and that sort of a thing. Okay, for the church, these three sets of tools, I think they they represent. Sort of the preaching of the word, that's the cutting, the, the dividing uh, of the properly dividing the word of God. And then there's uh, praying to God. This is the connecting. And then there's fellowshipping with other believers. That's covering. Cutting is done by the preaching of the word of God. Uh, oftentimes in scripture, God's word is, is, is spoken of as, a, you know, it cuts to the heart. We read about that in Acts 2.37. Sometimes the cutting is painful when we need something cut out of our life, some bad habit or sinful behavior, right, that needs to be cut off and removed uh, through the discipline of God. Other times the cutting is a relief because dead weight is removed, burdens are lifted. Uh, the connecting is through prayer. Prayer is sort of the glue that keeps us in contact with God. It, it's, it's communication with God, as I talk about in my book, What is Prayer? And um, if we're not communicating regularly, uh, and intimately with God, then our, our communication, our connection with him becomes broken and strained. And so prayer helps us remain in constant connection, fellowship with him. Uh, when we pray, our thoughts and desires are brought into alignment with the thoughts and desires of God. And so prayer connects us with God in a way that nothing else can because uh, of the spiritual intimacy 
when we pray. And then there's the covering, which of, is, is fellowship. And we learn to love one another, and love covers over a multitude of sins, as we read in 1 Peter 4.8. As we learn to love one another and um, spend time with one another and bear one another's burdens and do all of the one another's of scriptures— then we learn to overlook, to cover over even some of the failures and faults of others. And, and we, we, we learn to get along with other people. Okay, so this, this covering is this fellowship. So all of these things need to be priorities in the church, and they are sort of things that the foremen, the pastors and teachers, uh, and even evangelists need to make a priority in providing the proper tools and the right training for the people in the church, so that these are the sorts of things that can be done. And I would say that if a church, if a particular gathering of believers is struggling, some of the first things that the pastor and, and, and spiritual leaders, elders and overseers of that church can do is to make sure that there is proper cutting, connecting, and covering going on within their body of believers that is under their care. All right, we often focus on so many other things, but these are some of the three main essential activities that God wants his church, the body of believers, to be engaged in. All right, and so the foreman, that's their responsibility, to make sure these activities are being done, to make sure these tools are being provided, and to make sure that proper training is being done so that people know how to use these tools. Okay? Now, so the foremen have this job of equipping the crew. What is it, though, that the crew is supposed to do? What are the tasks of the crew? All right, well, on a construction site, it's not enough to have the best trained crew in existence, okay? They may have the necessary knowledge and maybe all the best tools and resources at their disposal, but if they don't do any work, <laughs> then nothing gets done, right? Back when I lived in Chicago, there was a joke that Chicago only had two seasons— Winter and construction. <laughs> um, I lived in downtown Chicago when I was attending, attending Moody Bible Institute there in the dorms. And it seemed like uh, there was always construction crews right outside my window. Uh, but I would watch the work they were doing. And I, I don't know what they were so busy with, but it never seemed like they got any work done. Especially with the road repair crews. I remember there was one crew right outside my window uh, every morning, I woke up at first light to them outside my window and for about two months. And they had jackhammers out there and the concrete saws and there was yelling voices and the cement mixers and everything else. And every morning, I woke, looked out my window to see if I could figure out what exactly they were doing on that road. I really never did figure it out. Uh, they worked for about two months on a 20-foot stretch of pavement. And when they were done, it looked exactly as it had when they started, as far as I could tell. <laughs> so uh, the thing is, it's sometimes similar. Our churches are sometimes similar like that, right? We make a lot of noise, cause a lot of commotion. When, but when all is said and done, not a whole lot gets accomplished. Again, this isn't necessarily the fault of the crew. It might be the fault of the foreman because they have not done a proper job of training and directing and leading and guiding the crew to do their work. But uh, the crew is not faultless either. We need to make sure that the people who are providing oversight and direction and tools and training to us are actually giving us these things and not just, not just entertaining us or making us feel good on a, 
because of a sermon or a Bible study or, you know, giving us Bible trivia. Bible trivia is not going to help anybody better serve and follow Jesus Christ. So the crew is to do the work of the ministry as we edify the body of Christ. These are sort of the two activities the crew is supposed to be involved in, the work of the ministry and the edification of the body of Christ. Let's look at both of these and talk about how they work, what the responsibilities of the crew are in these two areas. First, the work of the ministry. Again, just to emphasize, it is the crew who are the ministers. Okay, it is the crew, the regular people, in the church, who are to do the work of the ministry. And this is backward from how most people view it. Uh, again, lots of people refer to just the pastors of the church as the ministers, and that is exactly backward. The pastors are not the ministers. It is the crew, the people of the church, who are the ministers. All right? And, and so Paul is... is is showing us here who does the ministry, who are the ministers. It's not the church leaders, it's not the pastor teachers, the evangelists, or the missionaries. They are not the ministers. It's everybody else in the church who is the ministers. All right? And so uh, God gave, again, God gave the task of the foreman to equip the saints for the ministry. And uh, so we, the people in the church, are the ones who are supposed to do the ministry. Now, how does this work? Well, <clears throat> there's lots of different ways to go about this, but one of the sort of approaches I have found most helpful is uh, something I read in um, one of Rick Warren's books called The Purpose-Driven Church. Not The Purpose-Driven Life, which he's most famous for, but a different book called The Purpose-Driven Church. And in it, I think maybe he mentions this in Purpose-Driven Life as well, uh, or maybe it's Maybe I'm getting the two books mixed up. Anyway, in it, he mentions about our getting involved in ministry using our shape, S-H-A-P-E. Okay? Spiritual gifts uh, is for S, H is for heart, A for abilities, P for personality, and E for experiences. Spiritual gifts are the things that God has given us. Every single believer has at least one spiritual gift. Uh, I'm one of those who thinks that sometimes we might have more than one. Many people have more than one. But you're going to have at least one primary spiritual gift, and God gives every single believer at least one spiritual gift at the moment they become a believer in Jesus Christ. At the moment of the indwelling Holy Spirit, you receive a spiritual gift. And uh, there's a debate among Christians about how many spiritual gifts there are, and even whether they're all in use today or not. I'm not going to get into those debates right here. If you want my opinion on some of these things, and even a list of what I think the spiritual gifts are, how you can discover them, and how you can put them into use, I wrote a whole book on this called What Are the Spiritual Gifts? It's available on Amazon or wherever. I even have a, a course on that in my discipleship group which uh, if, if you prefer to, to get the information that way, that's available to you. So there's spiritual gifts. You need to find out what your spiritual gift is. Then uh, H is heart. The heart is what I would call your desires. Okay? It can, it, it, these are your dreams and your plans and your hope for your future. Uh, you discover your heart by asking this question. If I could do anything in life and money was no object, what would it be? Okay? You stop and think about that. And when you do that, you are discovering, you are searching for your heart, your desires. 
These are usually the things that God has placed there, right? Uh, when the Bible says that God gives you the desires of your heart, that's Psalm 37, 4, uh, this means he has placed them there, okay? And so if you chase after the desires of your heart that he has placed there, then he will bring them to fruition because he wants you to do them because he's given them to you, okay? Uh, there are certain forms of Christianity have said that our desires are evil and sinful, okay? And there is a desire that is evil and sinful. I talked about that in my podcast studies of, of Genesis. Um, but if when we have the God-given desires that are in line with the will of God and the commands of Jesus and so on, that uh, help establish and grow and, and uh, the kingdom of God, then these desires uh, should be sought after and worked for. And God will bring them to fruition when we... Uh, uh, Chase after them, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. That's this idea of the desires God has given to you that will help establish his kingdom here on earth. Okay? So um, learn what your desires are, your heart desires, your God-given heart desires, and chase after them. That's the, the second aspect of your shape. Then we come to A, abilities. Um, these are, I think, a good way to think about these are your talents, Everybody has talents. These are different than spiritual gifts, but these are the things you are good at. Uh, maybe you, they are natural talent. You know, maybe you're really, you were born athletically gifted, or maybe you have a really good brain for math, or, um, you know, there, there's a wide variety of talents. Some people said that there's, that the average person possesses between 500 and 700 different abilities. It's quite an impressive number. So, um, they're, they're, you know, some people have really good people skills. Some people have really good computer skills. And usually both are not found in the same person. Okay. But um, the thing is, is you have different abilities. And these also will help determine the type of work of the ministry that God might want you to do. Then, of course, there's personality. Uh, there's all these personality inventories out there. Maybe you've taken some of them and you know about your personality Sometimes we talk about type A personalities or whatever. Okay, there's the four personality types or you know, or the, the the different spectrum that you can be on for personalities. Okay, I don't care what sort of personality approach you want to adopt and maybe for yourself. But the fact of the matter is a person's personality does help determine what type of ministry God might want them to do. There's nothing more frustrating than trying to serve God uh, when you act like everybody else, you need to find a type of ministry that best fits you and your personality. If you're introverted as a personality, then you're not going to really enjoy or be fulfilled by a ministry that requires you to be extroverted and vice versa. Okay. So it's just like when you try to use spiritual gifts that you don't have, that experience is very frustrating and it will not be very fulfilling. But when you use spiritual gifts you do have, then it is very fulfilling for you in life. It's the same with your personality. You need to figure out what your personality is, and that goes into the, the, the mix of what type of ministry you want to be involved in. Finally, as the, the fifth part of our shape is our experiences. Everybody has different life experiences. Uh, some people have gone through unimaginable horrors. That is an experience. It's a negative experience. But God can use everything for good, and he can use the horror, the tragedies of your life, of your past, 
to allow you to use those to minister to other people who maybe are going through or have gone through similar things. Or maybe that's too traumatic, uh, and so you can use those horrors of your, of your life to teach and train other people how to avoid those sorts of things in their life, or to look out for them, to rescue other people, because there's all sorts of things. Uh, another experience, some people have a life of luxury and ease. How nice would that be? Um, others have wallowed in, in, in depravity and sin and all sorts of things. Okay. Again, these are just different life experiences. And sometimes these come from our choices. Sometimes they just happen because of where we're born or who our parents were or skin color or who knows what it could be. Okay. There's there's a wide variety, nearly infinite number of experiences. And you, God wants to use these experiences uh, to help you perform a, a very specific ministry for the church to help uh, edify and encourage and, and instruct and, and, and raise others up to, to be who God wants them to be in this world. Okay, so, so God can use all types of experiences, all types of backgrounds uh, to uh, help you learn what kind of ministry you want to be involved in. Okay, so when you put these five elements together, you have your shape, the shape of the ministry that God wants you to be involved in. And obviously you think about these five, the combinations of these five things is, is in, literally infinite. Okay, your spiritual gifts, plus the desires of your heart, in combination with the abilities, talents, and skills you've learned, added to the personality that you have developed and the experiences in life you have gone through make you absolutely unique for ministry. Nobody else in the entire history of the world matches your shape, can do what you do. Nobody. Okay? <laughs> that means if you don't do it, nobody will. I'm not trying to make a guilt trip, but that's just the fact of the matter. Nobody can do what you can do. You are absolutely unique. And so it's, it's vitally important for the health and benefit of the church that you figure out your shape of ministry and start doing it. I don't know, maybe you have gifts of teaching and service, okay? and you were raised in a good family. And so you have lots of knowledge about uh, childhood development. Okay, so maybe in that case, God wants you to start a ministry to maybe young single mothers or something within or even without the church on how to raise children in a godly fashion. Boy, that's much needed in society and culture today, isn't it? Um, I know a man who had spiritual gifts of evangelism and service. Uh, he was also a very creative communicator. And he had a heart desire, though, to be on the open road. He just loved to travel, but in a specific way. He loved riding motorcycles, okay? Along with his love for riding motorcycles on the open road, he had a, a special talent and ability to work on motorcycles. Also, uh, he was fun-loving, free-spirited personality, okay? always laughing, twinkling his eye. Uh, and of course, <laughs> he had the tattoos and the beard to go with it. Those are some of his life experiences. Um, so his shape altogether made him perfect for starting a ministry to Harley riders. And that's what he did. And he was very, very successful at it. They loved him and he loved them. And he got to spend time working on motorcycles and out on the open road with other Harley riders. And it was great for him and for them. He was very successful at it. Um, this is one of the reasons, you know, I teach and write because I have a spiritual gift of being a pastor teacher. 
Um, it's one of the reasons that I have a, a website is because I'm pretty technically oriented. I've always been really good at computers and, and, and understanding code and things like that. Uh, and so it's one of the reasons I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that I want to help other people start their own websites. Uh, I have a shepherding heart as well. And I know that there's lots of Bible students and pastors and even ministry organizations out there that want to get onto the internet, onto the web, and uh, they're not quite sure how, or maybe there's, you know, they, they know they can hire some company to build their website for them, but it's very expensive. I do charge for the work I, 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 I give in website development, but it's extremely reasonable, much cheaper than anything you're going to find out there, especially when I work with other pastors and authors and uh, Bible teachers, okay? I believe that God has given you, if you're another pastor or Bible teacher or author, God has given you a message that is unique to you that other people in the world need to hear and want to hear. And so I'm uh, more than willing and able and excited to help you get that message out there into the world through the miracle of the World Wide Web. Okay, so that's one of the ways I use the shape that God has, has given to me, that I have, that God has developed in my life over the years. Okay, look, I don't know what your shape might be. You have unique spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. And as you seek to discover the ways these mix together and join together uh, to do a ministry, you will discover the specific ministry God wants you to do, and you will become a minister. Okay, so um, that that is um, sort of the ministry. Now, you might say, by the way, here's one clear way for you to learn what God might want you to do. If you're having difficulty figuring out what God wants you to do, here's one way that you might be able to figure it out. Um, <clears throat> when you look at the state of the church today, okay, you look around the world, you look at church, you look at Christians— what is the thing that stands out the most to you where the church is weakest in? You just say, yeah, man, if the church could just do this, that would really help the state of Christianity, the cause of Christ, the spread of the gospel in the world today. Okay? When you figure that out, when you answer that question, the one thing, if the church could just do this one thing, you know what you probably just discovered? You've probably just discovered the one thing God wants you to do, <laughs> right? When you point at the church, okay, you point, <laughs> here's something we learned at kindergarten, you point at, at the church and say, God wants you to do this. Well, there's three fingers pointing back at you. <laughs> really, it might be that God wants you to do that, okay? I remember when I first learned this, when I was a pastor, back when I was a pastor, and it got so frustrating and tiring and exhausting. I was always on a guilt trip that I wasn't doing enough because people in the congregation would always come to me. Now, we were in a straw. I started off in a very small, struggling church in rural Montana. Um, and so people would come to me and say, Pastor, if we could just do that. I would say, don't call me Pastor. Call me Jeremy, please. You know, I wanted to be more personal. And uh, so they'd say, <laughs> they would say, Jeremy, we need to do this as a church. And so I would write it on my list. Oh, it's a great idea. Yeah, we definitely need to do that. But the thing is, as a, as a solo pastor in a small rural church, there was only a limited number of things that I myself could do, but I tried to take it all on and I was working far too much. Finally, a wiser pastor came along and he sort of told me, he said, look, when someone comes along and says, pastor, we need to do this, you need to tell them that's a great idea. Why don't you take the lead 
in doing that. (laughs) And that's this idea that I'm talking about. Generally, when God lays upon your heart and mind something that they over there need to do, something that the church needs to do, what's really going on there is God is laying upon your heart and mind something that he wants you to do. Okay, And so rather than pointing the finger at someone else and saying, you over there, you need to do that, look at the three fingers pointing back at you and saying, I need to do this. I need to fill this hole. I need to fill this gap. I need to start this ministry, build a team, put together people, raise some fundraising, whatever it might be to help see this ministry, this need be taken care of. And I started to try and do that uh, in a sort of a discipleship approach when people came to me with ideas, I'd praise them, I'd encourage them, I'd say, fantastic idea, I love it, I'm writing it down, uh, let me pray about how this can start, and then two or three days later, I might say, you know what, God has really laid upon my heart that you should do this, you should lead this, <laughs> and uh, so why don't you put together a team, put together a plan, you know, um, and uh, we'll get it started. You know, I could help them and give them the tools for it, and tr- even provide training, and if there was money in the budget, usually there wasn't, then we would take care of that too. But um, anyway, that, that is one of the things to learn what God, ministry God wants you to do, is to look at the sort of thing that you think the church needs to do, and then realize that probably you're noticing that because God wants you to do it. Okay? So that's uh, the, the ministry, um, putting together the work of the ministry. The final thing there in Ephesians 4.12 is edifying the body of Christ. Edification, it's really not a word that's used much anymore. It means strengthening, encouraging. Since we're talking about a construction site, it means building up. Okay, so true church growth, as we'll see as we continue through this section of Ephesians, it's caused by the mutual edification of believers. As believers are built up to perform their ministry and to look and act more like Jesus Christ. So church growth, it's not caused by numbers, in more, more people sitting in the pews, or, or more bricks added to the building, or more dollar signs in the church budget. Lots of people define church growth that way. How large is your church? And they mean how many are in attendance, or what size is your budget, or how big is your building? Okay, um, church is more than bodies, bucks, and bricks. Again, title of one of my books. But uh, that's not what church growth is. That's not what the church is. Church growth is, 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 occurs when the people of God learn what their spiritual gifts are, their shape is, and start to use these to build up one another, to strengthen and encourage, uh, edify one another. That's church growth. And that can happen with two believers, you don't need 2,000 or 20,000. It can happen with two. As one person learns their spiritual gifts and use those spiritual gifts, their shape, to edify and build up a different believer, another believer. That is church growth. All of us need to get that through our minds. If you want the church to grow, who cares about attendance numbers and budget numbers, okay, and building square foot numbers, Okay, Uh, if we want the church to grow, we just need to use our shape, our spiritual gifts to build up other believers into Christ likeness. Look, Jesus Christ has specially gifted you to do exactly what he wants you to do. It's not only that he has will for your life, but he's also given you a set of tools to do what only you can do. You have a monopoly. Think of it that way. You have a monopoly 
on what Jesus wants you to do. So you don't ever need to be comparing yourself to somebody else because there's nobody that compares to you. You have the monopoly on what Jesus wants you to do. And so you need to figure out what it is Jesus wants you to do and do it to your entire, with all of your strength, all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, okay? So um, when you discover what your shape is and start to do it, life will be more fulfilling, enjoyable, satisfying, and uh, you will have a sense of accomplishment that you've never before experienced in your entire life. God has desires for you and no one else can do it, which means if you don't do it, nobody else will do it because nobody else can do it. Okay? So discover your shape and start putting it into practice. When that uh, does not happen, then the church dies and struggles and fails, and I think that explains a lot of what is going on in Christianity today. Okay, so look, God has given you something to do, which only you can do. And if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. And the church will struggle as a result. Jesus Christ has a plan to build his church. That's what we're talking about in this section of Ephesians. And you are in that plan. You are a central role in that plan. Okay, so are you going to follow Jesus' directions and instructions on building his church? Or are you just going to sort of fall through the cracks and let the church suffer as a result? You are a saint. You are a minister. Start referring to yourself that way, thinking of yourself as a minister. Okay? You are part of the crew. And as a minister in this crew, you need a ministry, a place of service, something that only you can do, that Jesus has specially prepared for you to do, and that Jesus has specially gifted you to do. Okay? Ask not what the church can do for you, but what you can do. For the church. Okay, that's Ephesians 4.12. Good to be back. Teaching you every week. Hope to be back next week again. We'll uh, pick up with Ephesians 4.13. Hey, thank you so much for bearing with me these last several months as I've been gone. I really, really appreciate it. Your prayers, your encouragement and support. And I'm back and hope to uh, continue being back in the future. All right, we'll see you next week. Ephesians 4.13.